This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. It's been a while since we've done this. We had a holiday in there. We had some basketball kicking us off the air over the last couple of weeks. But hello, happy Friday, happy holidays. Hopefully your Thanksgiving was great. Coming up, uh, for if you're driving around here in Des Moines and listening on 102.1 FM or 1350 ESPN Des Moines, there's a real good chance that you're an Iowa State fan or have an interest in the Iowa State Cyclones. And because of that, we are going to talk about the dismissal of Tom Manning as the offensive coordinator for Matt Campbell's Iowa State team. Iowa State, the worst team in the Big 12 this year. One of, the, one of, if not the worst offense in the Big 12 this year. Now, they had a lot of over uh, changeover. They went from the record-setting quarterback in Brock Purdy to the new kid in, in Hunter Deckers. At one point, this team was 3-0. and But their offensive ineptitude in a lot of these games, the reason why this is the worst season that Matt Campbell has had since he first took over. So we're going to talk to Jared Stansberry, CycloneFanatic.com, coming up. That'll be right around 12-15 to uh, find out what exactly they do to improve the offense other than just get older and do you do an overhaul or what will Matt Campbell do? So that's coming up. Also, the Rose Bowl gets in line. And and I know from a fan standpoint, you're probably like, sweet, a 12-team playoff. Finally, the little guy can get a chance to get their tail kicked by Alabama in the playoff. I don't know if this 12, and I'm in favor of it from a viewing standpoint, but I don't know if the college football purist in me really loves, really loves the idea of the college football expansion. So we'll talk about the playoff expansion coming up uh, at 12.30. Man, what a weekend in the NFL we've got. What an unbelievable NFL weekend we've got. Um, there are, Every game has playoff implications, seemingly. And it, it is loaded. Like, it started with the game last night with Buffalo and New England. Buffalo, obviously, the far better football team and we saw it yesterday uh, as they beat the Patriots but there are so many games in the National Football League I got the whole slate here in front of me like every game has playoff implication and that's great that's why we have why we love the extra spot of the playoffs the extra wild card all of these games have teams in contention to make it to the postseason and if you don't have a team in contention to make it in the postseason like say, Maybe the one maybe the one game with the least amount of playoff implications is Browns Texans, but you know the storyline in that game. It's Deshaun Watson making his way back to the field, playing for the Browns after forcing his way out of Houston, signing the $250 million contract, and he'll have some of his credible accusers in a in a suite when he makes his debut after fighting off the legal battles he has fought off for the last year the credibly accused sexual assault or sexual misconduct accusations. Quick two cents on this, Kira. Yes. Hello. I would like you to tell me if I'm a bad person. (laughs) R slash, what is it? (laughs) A-I-T-A. I added Deshaun Watson in three fantasy football leagues. 
mm-hmm. am I a bad person? Because it's funny when you get on Twitter and you it, you search Deshaun Watson just to see what people are talking about. There are people all over the concept of if anyone adds Deshaun Watson, get, give them zero points. Do not add Deshaun Watson because I believe Deshaun Watson's a bad dude for what he did or what he's been accused of. 25 different people, if not more, have the same complaint. It's one thing if it's one or two, but 25 is a lot. Mm. But that being said, (laughs) I'm throwing Hail Marys to get into the playoffs (laughs) in both of the leagues, both of my redraft leagues. So I nabbed Deshaun Watson two weeks ago in both Mm -hmm. leagues. I've been playing with a dead roster spot. Am I a bad person for adding Deshaun Watson in three fantasy leagues? Is karma going to get me? I don't think so because you still you're not adding him because you're like uh, Deshaun Watson. He would never do something like no, that. No, no, you're no. like no. The guy's a bad guy. He just happens to be good at football. He just with he. I mean, I'm throwing a hey. I like I said, my team has been underperforming. Injuries. I've got every excuse <laughs> in the book of why I'm not going to make the playoffs. All right. I got. I, I fell victim to primetime Kirk. Against the Cowboys, he was so terrible a couple of weeks ago, torpedoed me in a game I should have won. No one cares. No one cares about your fantasy. But if you added Deshaun Watson in your fantasy football league at some point, you had to take a look at yourself and say, am I a bad person for doing this? Am I an okay person? It's fantasy, all right? And so I've added Deshaun Watson in three. I'm guessing the fantasy gods, who have not been kind to me this year, are going to come back and bite me and say, oh, you thought you were going to? They're playing Houston. He's going to be extra motivated, former team. They're terrible. You thought you were going to get in on this? No, 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 no. That's not going to happen. So we'll find out. But that's the only game, because I don't know if Cleveland's going to make the playoffs. I said on this show 13 weeks ago or 12 weeks ago, all uh, Jacoby Brissett had to do in that game was lit or that season for the Browns until Deshaun got here was win five games. Well, he won four. They won four games out of the 11. They're four and seven going into this. The Texans are one and nine. You know, I'm going to talk about Aaron Rodgers here, obviously, in a second, about the Packers and the potential of going on a run, which isn't likely. But Cleveland needs to, A, go on a run, and B, go on a run in a much tougher conference. Like, it's one thing to go on a run in the NFC. Not that the NFC is weak, but it's easily the weaker of the two. You know, in the AFC, You've got Tua and the Dolphins, surprise team in the NFL. You've got the Bills. You've got the Chiefs. You know, the Titans are going to win their division again. You've got a lot a lot of upper tier. I can't even forget about the Bengals. I mean, you've got a lot of good upper tier teams in the AFC. Meanwhile, in the NFC, what do you got? Nobody really believes in the Vikings. The Cowboys are still coached by Mike McCarthy, so somewhere down the line you expect them to make a boneheaded decision that's going to cost them their season. And the Niners, I, can they get healthy? Can they stay healthy? What's McCaffrey's knee look like? You know, the Rams are dead. The Buccaneers don't look like they're for real. I don't know if the Giants are really for real, but they're in the, the conversation. Of course, the Eagles are great. But other than the Eagles and Cowboys, does anybody in the NFC really scare you? I mean, you still have primetime Kirk over there in Minneapolis. So it's tougher to make that run in the AFC with Mahomes and Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Tua than it is in the NFC. And there are some, probably some other team that you're a fan of that you're like, well, Wicket, what about Lamar? Well, Lamar's been pretty mediocre this year. You know, what about the Jets? Do you really believe in the Jets? I think the Jets can go into Minnesota and win coming up on Sunday. 
And that's a massive game. Like, what a huge game that is to watch Justin Jefferson and Sauce Gardner go one-on-one with each other. I mean, I'll be watching the Packers game because it's out at the same time, but I'll have two TVs rolling because I'm going to want to watch Jefferson versus Sauce. That's going to be unbelievable. Speaking of the Packers, their matchup with the Bears is an interesting one for different reasons. I mean, you have these two teams that are combined 7-17. and 17. Wow. 7-17. and 17. Meanwhile, like, the Titans and Eagles are a combined 17 and 5. <laughs> so, like, that's the, that's the, what is that? The, oh, that's a noon game as well. I mean, you have all these really good matchups. But the Packers and Bears, the great rivalry, they're both tied at 786 wins, most in the history of the National Football League. They are 7 and 17 combined. And I'll tell you this right now, I guarantee you this. Neither fan base wants their QB1 to play in this football game for completely different reasons. The Bears have seen enough out of Justin Fields, I believe, to not want him to play. At least Bears fans, they want to bubble wrap Justin Fields because you know what you've got in him. He's a special player. I have, for the last year and a half, said Justin Fields sucks. I'm wrong a lot, but he had sucked until about seven weeks ago. And now you have a guy that is in the mold of Lamar, but is a better passer than Lamar. He can run, maybe not to Lamar's you know Lamar's speed, but he's a runner. He's an athlete, but he can also throw. And that's scary. He's got the banged up shoulder. And do you really benefit if you're the Chicago Bears from putting him back in? Now, the competitive fire and all these guys will, is, is going to come out and say, if you can play, you can play. If you can, you do it. If, you've, if you're able to get out there and play, you're earning a paycheck. It can go a long way towards development. You're going to have 60,000 fans at Soldier Field. It's Bears-Packers. You get out there and you play. But the Bears are in this interesting situation where they're 3-9. and nine. Their draft pick keeps getting better every single week. Fields has developed every single week. It's weird. Usually when your quarterback continues to have success and gets better, You win games. It's the best of both worlds for Chicago. Fields has looked great. Dual threat. Legs, arm. I know they just lost Darnell Moody, too, which totally, to me, plays into this game as well. But at the same time, as as, as he's getting better, the team's losing, which is fantastic. I know you don't like going home a loser. If you're a Bears fan, you're kind of used to it. But I know you don't like going home a loser, but your draft pick in the spring is getting much better. It really is. If and and couple this, the Bears have over one hundred million dollars in cap space next year. They can get better real quick. You know this division has been Green Bay's for three decades for the most part. All of a sudden this year, everybody in Minnesota thinks it's now theirs. If the Bears can add a playmaker, can improve their offensive line, find some help on defense, you get Mooney back. They've got a nice one, too. I don't know if David Montgomery's back next year, next year, but a healthy Khalil Herbert and Mooney. Komet's a decent tight end. All of a sudden, the Bears, who are a three-win team right now, they have $100 million to play with. Because, again, what you have to do is try to win on that rookie contract. And right now, Justin Fields is cheap. He won't be in a couple of seasons if he keeps progressing like this. 
But the Bears are in that situation where, boy, if we could add a couple of for a high first round pick, a high second round pick, because they didn't have one in the last draft, they traded away to get fields. They can address their offensive line issues real early in this draft. The Bears are on the opposite side of what the Packers are looking at in terms of bench QB1, at least Bears fans. And we're going to hear from Aaron Rodgers coming up in about 20 minutes because he had a lot to say on the McAfee show earlier this week. But if you're the Packers and it's the flip side, you know, you've got QB1 and $150 million sitting there with busted ribs, banged up thumb, on the road, cold weather. Meanwhile, you got Jordan Love sitting there. I'm going to talk more about that coming up at 1230. Just one of the many games with a bunch of entry. Week 13 is gorgeous. Yeah, this is a good-looking Sunday coming up in the National Football League. Want to bring it back here into uh, into the Des Moines area. Coming up on the other side, Jacob Stansberry is going to join me from uh, CycloneFanatic.com. Iowa State's offensive coordinator, gone. Tom Manning, out after a very disappointing season for the Cyclones. We'll find out who's next, what happens, and where does Iowa State go from here with uh, Jacob Stansberry. Do that next. You're on ESPN Des Moines. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. This is Wicket's World. My name is Mike Wicket. Happy Friday to you. Uh, coming up tonight, Big 12 Championship game. Check that Pac-12 Championship game tonight. Utah and USC. If USC wins, they're in the college football playoff. Tomorrow, we'll have the Big 12 title game early, followed by Drake basketball, and then the ACC Championship. And then Sunday, we have an NFL doubleheader. We got live sports all weekend here on ESPN Des Moines. Big news out of Ames. Tom Manning, gone. Offensive coordinator, out in uh, at Iowa State. Interesting, because he's had such success in most of his time up there in Ames. Joining me right now from CycloneFanatic.com, Jared Stansberry is with us. Jared, thank you so much for the time, man. How are you? Doing well, man. Just uh, just another Friday. Yeah. <laughs> just another Friday. I, I want to read something that you tweeted that I thought was really interesting, because Tom Manning is gone, offensive coordinator, who has had four of the five highest-scoring offenses in Iowa State history coordinated up there for the Cyclones. And you wrote out, even though the end wasn't pretty, Tom Manning should still be commended for helping to engineer some of the best offenses in Iowa State history. He'll always be a crucial character in the story of the program's rise to relevance. What happened this year? Yeah, I mean, I think the easy answer is you lost NFL quarterback Brock Purdy, NFL running back Brees Hall, NFL tight end Charlie Kohler, and you know, a bunch of other guys that had been key pieces of your, of your offense over the last several years were key pieces of a bunch of those, uh, of most of those four offenses that were uh, in the top, you know, were among the, the top six in Iowa state history. And so I think that's probably the easy piece. I think the more difficult there, you know, if you want to dig into it more, I mean, I, just, I think they didn't maybe do a very good job adjusting to the personnel changes after losing some of those guys. You know, I think, uh, you know, Matt Campbell came in first day in his opening press conference and one of his big buzz, phrases was players formations plays they're going to look for their best 11 players they're going to put them in formations to be successful 
and they're going to put plays out there in, out of those formations that will, you know, allow them to succeed. And I think that, you know, when you look at the personnel Iowa State had coming in this year, it felt like they did a little bit too much trying to fit square pegs in the round holes and do what Iowa State had done over the last several years that it allowed them to have that success when maybe the personnel didn't, you know, didn't fit that. And uh, I think that probably played a big role in it. Um, I think that there's a, an aspect of sometimes you just need a different voice in the room too, you know, and that's nothing against Tom Manning. Like I said, I think, you know, people are going to, he catches a lot of heat, obviously for this year, he's caught some heat previously as well, but I think people do need to remember and keep some of the context of this. It's like Iowa state's offenses have been better than they've ever been consistently for the last five years. So, you know, whatever's going to happen next is kind of a, you know, be careful what you wish for if it goes poorly, but uh, at the same time, you just hope that you can maximize that and find a, a new voice maybe who can uh, take advantage of some of the personnel you have on your roster better than what they were able to do before. Talking to CycloneFanatic.com's Jared Stansberry. Follow him on, on Twitter, at Jared Stansberry. Joining us here on ESPN Des Moines. You mentioned square peg round hole. What one or two square pegs do you think they were trying to fit into round holes? I mean, I think the the biggest one is the tight end positions, you know, and, and that obviously had been such a hallmark of what Iowa State had done over the last several years. And it made sense when you had Charlie Kohler, All-American, Chase Allen, All-Big 12 player multiple times in his career. Dylan Sainer was an All-Big 12 player by the time his career was over. And then you think even Jared Rush last year was obviously a real, it was an All-Big 12 player for Iowa State last season. But, man, when you lose those guys who have that versatility to – you know, be really effective blockers and be really effective pass catchers, you know, and you still continue to try and put three tight ends out on the field when, you know, maybe two of them aren't very good blockers, you know, maybe they're just more pass catchers or things like that. And then you're trying to force them into heavy sets and things like that, putting them close to the line of scrimmage and telling them to go block for the run. Well, you're not necessarily putting people in positions to succeed, I think at that point. And, that's where it's just – I think there was probably a need for Iowa State to have a more opened-up philosophy than what they did this season. Uh, and for whatever reason, that, that didn't take place. I think So I think that's the biggest one you can point at. Um, and I think, too, there's maybe an element even in, you know, with Hunter Deckers where you maybe feel like he didn't look necessarily comfortable with what Iowa State was doing on a weekly basis. Uh, you know, there were times where it seemed like they would do some things and he would look really good, you know. But then there would be other times where – it would seem like he would uh, he was really swimming in whatever Iowa State was having him do. So um, it just is a it's a difficult balance because obviously you want to recruit to you know a system or things like that, and you want to have an idea of what you're going to be able to do to carry things through on you know in a given year. But I just think that I, for whatever reason you know there was just a difficulty in being able to find that sweet spot of what Iowa State needed to do. And you know I think after being able to review the program and look through some things, I think. You know, Matt Campbell felt like it was just best to to move on, get a new voice, and, you know, try and find someone else who can help them push the program forward. And and like I said, I don't think that diminishes what Tom Manning did to help Iowa State, but I think at the same time, you know, you can acknowledge that someone did some good things while still acknowledging that, you know, there's there's need for change, too. You know, I think the last time I had you on was uh, Cyhawk week, or maybe Mm -hmm. the week after, and I I wish I could have had you on more, but whatever. If I would have told you, after the Cyhawk game, or when they were 3-0, and guess what, Jared? They're going to fire the offensive coordinator at the end of this year. You would have thought I was crazy. Yeah, yeah, that would have been really hard to believe. I mean, I think I think that speaks to it, you know, just where it, it felt like they had 
all that momentum. And then for just whatever reason, things just fell apart, you know, and, and I'm not in the room every day. I'm not in the offensive meeting room. Something went sour there, you know, and I think that it's not hard to look at, I mean, look at the numbers. Clearly, something went sour there, sour there, you know, and it's not just all about the personnel because Iowa State's recruited at a higher level than they ever have before over these last however many years as well. So it's like the talent floor should not be in a position where you lose a couple guys and all of a sudden your entire offense tanks and you're one of the worst power five offenses in the country. Like that just it, it doesn't make any sense. So that's why it just seems like there has to be more than what you know, even just winning on Saturdays. There's a lot that goes into building an offense on a day-to-day basis that people obviously don't see. And, um, you know, I think there's probably some things that probably went haywire in those situations that just for whatever reason really held Iowa State back. And uh, it would have been hard to believe that they were going to go 4-8, and eight, though, after they started 3-0, and oh, wouldn't it? You're still the best Power 5 offense in the state of Iowa. So, I mean, at least they got that going, Jared. <laughs> Yeah, well, the bar is on the floor. So, <laughs> <laughs> Talking to Jared Stansberry, read his work at CycloneFanatic.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Jared Stansberry. I know that the, well, the in-house name that people are talking about at your site, Nate Shieldhouse, is he the front runner to get the job, or does Matt uh, look elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, he's the interim for right now. Yeah. So I think that that obviously has to, you know, has to indicate that he is under some level of consideration. I would think that I, that Matt Campbell will probably try and make an attempt to go outside and find someone, uh, find someone new. Uh, probably too early to really speculate too much on on some of those names. I think, you know, there's a, a couple different ones that uh, that'll probably be tossed out here over the next several days. But um, I think if if it came to a situation where Iowa State needed to make a commitment to Nate Shieldhouse to keep him in in Ames, and you know, you're the co-offensive coordinator or whatever it may be, I don't think they would hesitate to do that because I think they feel you know, he plays a really important role in what Iowa State does. He's one of their best recruiters. You know, he's he's one of their better position coaches. He's a really, you know, in, engaging younger guy that uh, I think is really important for them to have on the staff. So I think on some level you can look at him being the interim as kind of a badge of confidence. It's a, a commitment to, like, we're going to do whatever we have to do to, you know, keep this guy around and make sure that he stays on the staff. But at the same time, you know, you're keeping the option open that you could go outside and, and add somebody new to – to the staff and, and see if that can shake some things up for you. Are other schools maybe tapping Shieldhouse right now on the shoulder and saying, hey, you know, there's there's disarray going on here. Is he potentially looking at a bigger job than, you know, maybe Matt Campbell's offensive coordinator? Well, I know that if I was a, uh, a coach at another school and um, I was looking for a receivers coach or anything like that, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely make a call to make Shieldhouse. Uh, I mean, he's been one of the more impressive assistants that I've ever ever been around i don't know directly if he's getting any calls right now but i would be very surprised if there are not people picking up the phone and trying to see if they can make some overtures that that way just because like i said i mean he's he's one of, i think the best one of the best rising assistants i think in college football and um you know a guy who is just a, a star on the recruiting front and has done so good so well in kansas city uh so it's like if you're in Nebraska or someone like that and you need a receivers coach, you'd be an idiot, I think, to not try and make a call to Nate Shieldhouse and, and try and, you know, get an inroad there. But that doesn't necessarily mean he would leave either. I just that that's just my opinion as someone who's, you know, been able to see what he does on on uh, you know, in, with his work. Was there a moment or a down or a set of downs that you watched Iowa State play this year and you're like, 
Manning's got to go. Tom Manning, who's, if you're just joining us, Tom Manning is out as offensive coordinator up uh, in Ames for Matt Campbell's squad. Jared Stansberry joining us from CycloneFanatic.com. Because to me, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, maybe it was earlier in the season, when you can't get a yard three times inside mm-hmm. the red zone against Texas Tech, that's kind yep. of it. That's the one. Yeah. I think that's the one when, for me, you know, I, I think I was probably leaning towards the idea that there were probably some changes that needed to be made. But that the moment was the moment to me where it's like, all right, this isn't working, you know, because I think it it really – it was just they were just a series of decisions that seemed to really lack self-awareness, which I think is a significant issue, you know, especially as an offense where you're putting people in positions to not be successful. And that's one of the worst things I think you can do as a coach, in my personal opinion, is to not put your players in positions to have success. And I felt when they did that, you know, the first time, you know, you're trying something new, it's out of that they're going under center. They were, you know, gone under center a lot in that game. You know, it's cool. The second time, all right, you know, you're kind of trying to prove a point. And then the third time, it's like, all right, now you're really trying to prove a point, And all you did is prove what people already thought about your offense. And that just, I'm right there with you. I think that that was the moment for me where it was like, yeah, there, there just has to be something different here because I just, I don't think that what they are doing is, is conducive to, to having success with the, the players that they've got out there on the field. And if you're a defensive player for, for Iowa State, man, I mean, they held the dam together. They held everything together as best they could, and then it just exploded against TCU, who's obviously playing for a national championship right now. Are you watching these guys and their Twitter accounts? Because this this transfer portal, I get a real sense that people are going to be unhappy. They got guys going to the NFL, obviously. There's some stud talent on that defensive line. Like, is 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 Iowa State about to get poached because of the coaching change and because of the NFL and all that? I mean, I think it's it's certainly possible. It's always possible, you know, anywhere at this point. I think especially when you think about or you start talking about programs that have coaching changes and things like that. I mean, I think defensively, I, I think Iowa State will probably do, well, not Iowa State directly, the We Will Collective, the people connected to that will do everything that they can to make sure that those guys feel as though they're being treated well, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, people yeah. like TJ Tampa, you know, someone like, uh, you know, a, a Will McLaughlin, a linebacker, Bo Freeler, like some miles purchase, like some of those guys who are big time players that could probably corner big time money. If they wanted to get them the, the bag, Jared, yeah. start the yeah. GoFundMe. Yeah. Get them the, the, the bag. Got them secure the bag. But I think, you know, I think it'll be interesting too. I mean, this is going to open the door. Iowa State to be aggressive in the transfer portal as well, you know, and I think that, you know, there, you'll probably see some more guys that, that enter the portal, but I think the biggest thing people always have to remember is when, you know, you see people go into the portal, you know, the portal, the portal will take, but it will, the portal will give as well. I think everybody needs to remember what happened with basketball last spring. Yes, where, I was just going to say, you know, Otz knows yeah. all about that. Right, where Tyrese, Tyrese Hunter, you know, decides to enter the transfer portal, and then a couple of weeks later, Iowa State's putting together a pretty good little class of transfers that, you know, has that basketball team playing at a pretty high level right now. So it's just the nature of the game right now. People are going to go in the portal. People are going to come out of the portal. People are going to go in the portal and decide not to leave, and um, it's just going to be a, a cycle. And I think everybody should be prepared for a pretty wild month of December, especially once we hit next Monday and that portal opens up again. It's just like the pre-Matt Campbell era all over again. Thank God for basketball season. Jared, appreciate the time so much, my friend. Thank you for coming on. Continued success at CycloneFanatic.com. 
Yeah, anytime, man. See you later. Jared Stansberry. Follow him on Twitter, at Jared Stansberry, joining us here on ESPN Des Moines. I mean, what a brutal... I mean, to lose your offensive coordinator is is one thing. Hopefully, they don't lose too many guys to the transfer portal, but it's going to happen. But like Jared says, there will be guys that will come into Iowa State that will transfer and hopefully you know, fix some of these problems because, boy, that offense was brutal last year. 2021, they averaged 31.3 points per game. 2020, when they went to the Fiesta Bowl, they averaged almost 33 points per game. 2019, they averaged over 32 points per game. All of these were Tom Manning, but... Things can change real quick. They can change very, very quick. As a matter of fact, Aaron Rodgers talked about that on the Pat McAfee show. Exactly what can change in an instance. We'll hear from the Packers signal caller because I already talked Bears. Got to talk some Packers because Packers fans feel the same way as Bears fans about their QB1. That's next. Like ESPN Des Moines on Facebook and watch Wicket's World live in real time. This is 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. My name's Mike Wickett. Happy Friday to you. Coming up tonight, we have the uh, Pac-12 championship game. Utah and USC. Tomorrow, early Big 12 ch- uh, title game between uh, TCU, number three in the nation, and number, what is Kansas State, 11, 10? Where are they at? 10, 11, 10? Yeah, 10. And then tomorrow night, after we've got Drake basketball as well, we got the ACC championship between Clemson and North Carolina. So if you want live sports, we got you. Tonight, tomorrow, doubleheader on Sunday, two NFL games right here on ESPN Des Moines. What's up to everybody watching on the Facebook page? Appreciate that very much. ESPN Des Moines on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Wicked. Follow us at ESPN DSM. Packers and Bears. Part of, see, what's so funny is I mentioned this earlier. Like, man, there are so many intriguing games with playoff implications, up and down. And the game that I care about has two teams that are definitely not going to the playoffs. The only game with two teams that have minute I, I, I don't know if the Bears have been mathematically eliminated. I know the Packers have not been mathematically eliminated. But neither of these teams are going to the playoffs, all right? And I'll tell you right now, I... Um, I have a hard time with this as a Packers fan. I have a real hard time with Aaron Rodgers playing. Just playing. You know, there's a number of factors. Let's talk about Aaron here first. First of all, for Aaron, you know, should he play? Sure. If you you actually believe, if you've been watching the Green Bay Packers and you see in that team, in that squad, on that offense, and on that defense, you see a playoff team. Because once you get in, anything can happen. Burrow and the Bengals were the sixth seed and went to the Super Bowl. You know, the uh, the, the Washington Nationals wouldn't have even been in the, uh, the playoffs after two months of the season a couple of years ago. They went on to win the World Series. Get in. Who knows what can happen? I'd still take the one seeds, but, you know, I mean, Eagles-Chiefs kind of sounds like it could happen, right? Or Eagles-Bills, something like that. Like, if you the ones and the twos, but you never know. But if you believe 
If you're Aaron Rodgers and you're Matt LaFleur and you're their general manager, Brian Gutekinds, and you believe that Aaron Rodgers can win five in a row, then by all means you play. They've had nothing but success down in Chicago. That's where the I still own you. Remember that? I mean, he's a Bears owner now. But I'm going to tell you right now, as a guy who watches every Packer game, far too close, too too emotionally invested probably, this is not a team that can win five in a row. And part of it is Rodgers. Part of it is the thumb. And I screamed. I do a podcast. Follow me at Mike Wicked if you want to know more. I screamed from the mountaintops. Screamed. Saying in October, they should have shut Rodgers down for a month. Because Jordan Love was maybe going to win a game. Aaron Rodgers was maybe going to win a game with that thumb. Because he goes on the back of his show and says he's having trouble making some throws. Well, that's got immunized vibes all over it. There's really only three throws you make in the NFL. Short, medium, and long. Right? I know it's much more complicated than that, but what's a couple of throws? Maybe he can't make short and medium. Maybe he can't make medium and long. Whatever they are. A couple of throws has serious immunized vibes when he says it. So I said, my, my, my answer was shut him down for a month because they weren't going to get more than one win in that five-game stretch. And lo and behold, they got one win in the five-game stretch. And based on what we saw Sunday night in that very small handful of snaps and throws from Jordan Love, he looks like a completely different quarterback. I'm gonna, if, if what we saw against Philly was the real Jordan Love, Packers beat the Commanders. And probably beat the Detroit Lions. I don't think they beat the Bills. I'm not sure if they would have beat the Cowboys. But because Mike McCarthy really aided in that, maybe they do. I I don't know. But I don't see five wins out of a one-thumbed Aaron Rodgers who's got cartilage issues or rib issues or whatever. This is a game where Rodgers, in my opinion, should sit. But he's not going to. And that's fine. He is QB1. He is the franchise. He is the face. He's the highest paid player in the National Football League or one of the highest paid players in the National Football League. He believes there's still a chance to go out and win. Okay, fine. Get a win. Get into the bye. Maybe you get a little bit healthy. He was on McAfee's show, and he's finally found a a receiver who's dynamic. My guy. I told you I am in love with Christian Watson. I think he is the real deal. Aaron Rodgers has now thrown six touchdowns to Watson in three weeks, and he's thrilled. I think it's an incredible case study on how one play can change the course trajectory of a person's life. I mean, I think we know in general one one decision, positive and negative, in our in our lives can change the course for all of us. One like piece of advice, one chance encounter, one random meet up with someone that can do it but it it's rare in this game that kind of one play changes everything for a guy people are like well there had to be something in practice or this or that so no not really no i mean i watch the kid every single day he went from struggling to for consistency to just drop like one pass in the last three weeks six touchdowns in three weeks that's pretty impressive for anybody and for a rookie who had none coming in uh you know after nine weeks pretty cool it's pretty awesome and you know what I'm not even mad. Like, even when when Christian Watson wasn't doing anything, everybody, Watson's a bust. Look at George Pickens. Watson's a bust. No. Rookies go through growing pains. Some guys, it takes three weeks. Some guys, it takes three months. Rookies go through growing pains. If he catches that bomb in week one against Minnesota, maybe the whole season changes. I have no idea. But he's stuck with Rodgers, and Rodgers stuck with him, and I'm so happy for Christian Watson. 
because the guy is a freak. He's mossing people. He's got speed to burn. And he caught that touchdown pass from Jordan Love. Jordan Love showed the world a completely different Jordan Love in the quarter and a half or quarter, whatever he played against Philadelphia. And he wasn't doing it against Prevent. Darius Slay said on a podcast earlier, he said that kid was slinging it. Darius Slay, big play Slay, one of the best defensive backs in football, talking about how Jordan Love was able to sling the ball around. They weren't playing Prevent. They were still playing man, and he was making throws. And Aaron Rodgers on Pat McAfee's show earlier this week was asked about what he saw out of Jordan Love. It was really nice to watch. You know, I you know feel like an older brother uh, watching him. You know, do well. I care about the kid a lot. Fun to see his growth. Fun to just see him just kind of relax out there. As any young player, same thing with Christian. You know, once you can make a few plays, it just it kind of takes the anxiety out of the body and the tension out of the body. And to see him, you know, make accurate throws and and do what he's been doing. You know, when you watch Jordan Love come out of Nevada in the last two years, Jordan Love, big guy, big dude, long arms. And one of the things, if you're a Packers fan, you've been very lucky to see is is the quick release. Dan Marino, quick release. Jordan, uh, Aaron Rodgers, quick release. Ball. Jordan Love, big arm. Big arm. Wasted motion. Excess motion. When he's throwing, it looks very different. Like, I remember when I first saw Love play, I was like, man, that's a lot different than Rodgers. Just, you know, the quick throw. Out, snap, throw. Sunday night against Philadelphia, we saw... The snap quick throw he has gotten rid of. And maybe this is due to they brought in Tom Clements, who was actually Aaron Rodgers' quarterback guru when he was getting ready to take over for Favre. They brought back Tom Clements. And I said, this seems like something for love, not for Rodgers. This seems like a development tool for Jordan Love. And you know what? This has been a developmental coach for Jordan Love because his release is so much quicker, so much smaller, so much more efficient than what we saw in the first couple of years, even in preseason this year, in the in the preseason games, Love still had that big windup, like an old school pitcher. But this was quick. One, two, snap, read, throw, second read, go. That pass to Aaron Jones that should have been caught on the sideline. Beautiful. I don't even care that he dropped it. The throw looked good. So I would rather see Love play so we can know, so the Packers can know what they have in Jordan Love. We already know what they have in Rodgers. Get them healthy. There's still MVP DNA in there, all right? Get them healthy. Full offseason with Watson. Full offseason with a healthy Romeo Dubs. If they bring Lazard back, who knows? But if you're not going to move forward with Jordan Love, you need to showcase Jordan Love so you can move Jordan Love and get back something. Because nobody knows if Love can play in this league right now. We saw him for... Eight throws or nine throws the other night. That's the best Love has looked. And there's no better team for Love to play against than the Chicago Bears who stink. All right? Especially on defense. Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers. And here's one thing I don't like. If Rodgers is going to play fine, if Rodgers thinks he can win five in a row, fine. I don't really like Rodgers going on McAfee's show and letting the world know that he's going to play. Like, LaFleur had no idea earlier in the day. But Rodgers says, if you can play, you play. Listen, we are 8-4, 4-8, 12-0, 0-12. I'd be wanting to suit up this week. Because that's what you do. And when you're a player, you go out there, and if you can play, you play. You don't need some doctor to give you an excuse. Oh, man, I don't know, maybe one more week. You know, not quite 100%. No, 
If you can go out there and compete and you have competitive greatness in your body, in your heart, in your mind, you go out and play. Right, and I don't, I don't knock that. Aaron Rodgers is as tough as they come. You know, he got knocked for being soft or glass. You know, when he, when he took over for Favre, he played with a broken foot, he injured this. Aaron Rodgers is a warrior, all right? Say what you want about him off the field. You can have your opinion on his thoughts on vaccines and this. And I don't care. Football player, football-wise, Aaron Rodgers is a warrior and went out there and tried to play, couldn't breathe, and had to get exit. Love comes in, almost wins it, doesn't. So I can't knock him. I can't knock Aaron Rodgers for saying, if you can play, you play. doesn't matter what the record is. That's fine. Did he take a shot at Justin Fields? Did anybody else hear that? You know, because Fields is waiting on what the doctors say with his non-throwing shoulder. Missed last week's game. Trevor Simeon played in that game. Bears lost. I think they had put up 10 points in that game or whatever. But it kind of felt like he was taking a little shot at quarterbacks who aren't coming back from injury or anything. Rodgers will come back. If he can play, he will play. I'd rather he didn't, but that is where we are at right now. Coming up, college football playoff is expanding to 12 teams. As a viewer, you love it, but is it really the best idea? I want to have this conversation next. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. One zero two one FM, thirteen fifty ESPN, Des Moines. I'm Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. Coming up tonight, we will have the Pac-12 Championship game. I got to find out. I'm playing poker tonight. My weekly poker game. My bi-weekly poker game. I got to find out if the guy who's hosting, Alex, put up a TV. I like to have the USC Utah game on in the background, or at least bring a radio and listen to ESPN Des Moines. We'll have it tonight. Coverage starts at six. And then tomorrow morning, coverage starts at 10 of the Big 12 championship game between Kansas State and TCU. Drake and Illinois-Chicago on the hardwood follows. And then the ACC championship game between Clemson and North Carolina. And then as you heard in the break there, we've got Commanders and Giants followed by Rams and Seahawks on Sunday. If you want live sports, this is your radio station. We've got you, all right? I think we have the Iowa basketball game on Tuesday. Yeah, Iowa taking on... Oh, who got it? It's in the Champions Classic or the Jimmy V Classic next week, I believe. It it doesn't. Is it Duke? Duke. Huge. Great. That's on Tuesday. All right. So the college football playoff can officially expand, will officially expand to 12 teams. And if you're wondering what the holdup was or why this all of a sudden happened yesterday, the Rose Bowl pretty much had till the end of November to either get in line or delay expansion. Because the Rose Bowl, they were putting out ridiculous like claims. They wanted to host uh, the semifinal or the final in two years of the three-year rotation as you go through the New Year's Six Bowls. They pretty much got laughed off the table for that. But to expand to 12 teams, the college football committee needed a unanimous yes from the Sugar Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the Peach Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, and the Rose Bowl. And the Rose Bowl was the last holdout. And let's not kid ourselves here. When presented with a deadline, the Rose Bowl said, okay, 
Now, the Rose Bowl didn't say okay because of tradition. The Rose Bowl didn't say, okay, we'll expand because we want there to be more more opportunity for these kids. The Rose Bowl didn't say, okay, we'll expand because of pageantry or because we really want to get a true number one. Do you know why the Rose Bowl said yes? What is the number one reason that anything happens in collegiate or professional sports? Money. That is right, Kara. Flashing the money sign, the Johnny Manziel money sign off the camera. Yes, money. Because the expansion was going to happen, all right? But it's going to happen early in 2024. So next season, after next season, we will finally get the college football expansion we think we all want. If the Rose Bowl held out and did not give unanimous consent, they were going to cost college football $450 million. That is the reason the Rose Bowl said yes. All right? Don't, it's not tradition. It's not the Tournament of Roses parade. All right? It's not the Aruna Seca. It's not the Valley. It's not the history of the Pac-10 and the Big Ten. We're now the Pac-12 and the Big 14, soon to be 16. It's because it was a half a billion dollars. Then the Rose Bowl didn't want to be known as the bowl game that cost everybody half a billion dollars. So we now get the college football playoff expansion to 12. It's been a tumultuous road to get here. Listen to this ridiculous cycle and what the big holdup was. If you're an SEC fan, this is on your guy. Here's SI's Ross Dellinger. But it is the most asinine thing I have ever covered in my career. In June 2021 is when a subcommittee of the 10 commissioners, about four of them, got together for two years, starting in actually 2019. For two years, created this model, studied it, looked at over 100 different models, formats, created this model and presented it in June 2021, 18 months ago. And it has taken that long for it to get approved. And a lot of it is because conference realignment. You know, there were a lot of people angry at the SEC for taking Oklahoma and Texas last summer and angry at the Big Ten for taking USC and UCLA this past summer. And that just created a fractured room of commissioners who, for whatever reason, didn't want to agree. And it's just been this long, awful process. And finally, we were waiting this last couple weeks on the Rose Bowl because the contract with ESPN, in order to, to expand the playoffs early, the contract would have to be broken. And the contract is with ESPN in the six legacy bowls. So you had to get everybody on board. Everybody was on board except the Rose Bowl until earlier this week when they decided to sign the amended contract and be a part of this thing. So it's been a long, long process. I had a commissioner tell me this week he was describing this whole process. And again, as I talked about, a lot of folks in that commissioner room were really angry at the SEC and Commissioner Greg Sankey last summer. And it it was kind of a purposeful delay just to kind of stick it to them. (laughs) Commissioners earlier this week told me when I asked him, I said, can you describe this process to me, like this 18 months and this grinding, awful process? And he said, well, I know that a big portion of that 18 months was the Greg Sankey is the devil period that we had to get over, you know? So that that just gives you an idea of that room and how fractured it was for a long time and, and still is. So the six highest-ranked champions get automatic berths. Big 10, ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, SEC, all right? So the big, the big five, and then the little guy. This year, that would be Tulane if we were to play this out. Uh, would be the sixth highest-ranked conference champion. Tulane is the American champion. 
And then after that, the next six highest-ranked teams get at-large spots. This is the Notre Dame rule. That way, Notre Dame, even though they can't win in a conference, can still get a chance to get in if they're in the top 12, which by most years, you would think Notre Dame would be able to do that, not this year. The four top seeds, in this case, it is the four we've got, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC, would get buys. So the other eight would play. And instead of playing at neutral sites where those next rounds, the next round would be, they're playing at the home site of the better team. For example, your 8-9 matchup would be Penn State and Clemson. Penn State is the 8. Clemson is the 9. They'll play in Happy Valley. Tennessee is the 7. K-State is the 10. They'll play in Knoxville. And then the winners, there's a bracket. It, it, it's, I can't explain it on the radio. It's stupid to even try. But here's my question. And I'm and from a viewer, from a viewing standpoint, from someone who loves college football, we're all sick of seeing, and this year is different, but aren't we all sick of seeing Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson? Like, weren't we all sick of that? And then recently, you know, Michigan got in last year, and this year it's likely, but not definitely, Georgia, Michigan, USC, and TCU. You know, we'll find out. USC tonight could lose to Utah. Utah already beat them once this year. TCU, no one believes in them. K-State on a mission. Who knows? Michigan. If I mean, they're probably in, right? Unless they get blown out by Purdue. I don't see that happening, but I never know it's going to happen. But here's my point. If USC loses, aren't they still in? They're not going to fall from 4 to 13 unless they get embarrassed by Utah, right? It makes the conference championship games almost pointless. We already have guys opting out of bowl games, right? Which, unless you're playing for a national title, for the most part, your bowl game is pretty meaningless. I get it. Ask Michigan's David Ojabo, who hurt himself at his, you know, getting ready for the draft. If you get hurt in a game, a meaningless game, at least Ojabo was working out. If you get hurt in a bowl game, in the CarQuest Auto Parts Jiffy Lube Cheez-It Bowl, what did you really, in a Brees Hall for Iowa State, opted out of the bowl game last year for good reason. He was going to be the first running back taken in the NFL draft. You don't want to mess that up. You know, you don't, you don't want to get hurt in one of these games that don't matter. So conference championship games, all of a sudden, they don't matter. And in theory, you're having these guys, these kids, kids, you're playing 15, 16 games a year if you get to the championship. And you can't just cut off, you know, the game from the non-conference schedule because those little schools depend on getting their tail kicked for half a million dollars. So I don't know if it's perfect. I like it because now we get to see what can happen with more teams get in. But I don't know if it's perfect. And 16 doesn't make it any better. I'm not saying four was it. I don't know if eight is it. But I don't think it makes it perfect quite yet. I don't know if there's a way to make it perfect. But we get to watch more football. And that's always great, right? (laughs) Uh, My thanks to Jared Stansberry for checking out, uh, for joining me today. Check out the podcast at ESPNDesMoines.com. I'll make sure it's up on Twitter at ESPNDSM and on Facebook as well. We got the Pac-12 title game tonight, 6 o'clock, USC and Utah. Triple header tomorrow, double header on Sunday. My name is Mike Wickett. This has been Wickett's World here on ESPN Des Moines. Have a great weekend. It's the